Hello, and welcome to the Bitcoin Boomer Show. I'm your host, Gary Leland, and I want to thank you for taking time to watch or listen to this podcast. Now, today, we have a great show for you, but I think we always have a great show. What we try to do here on this show is educate you about Bitcoin. Doesn't matter if you're a boomer, like I am, born in 1955, I'm getting old, that's for damn sure, or if you are a millennial. Doesn't matter what age you are, this show is about Bitcoin, which applies to everybody. Everybody needs to know about Bitcoin, what it is, where it came from, how it works, what its uses are, what Bitcoin is, in other words. And that is what we do here. Every week, we bring on a great guest to try to educate you on Bitcoin and only about Bitcoin. I don't care about Ethereum. I don't care about Zcash. I don't care about blockchain. All I care about is Bitcoin, and that's all I'm going to talk about on my show is Bitcoin. So don't be sending me emails asking me about those other things because I'm not going to talk about them because I don't care about them. But if you want to know about Bitcoin, this is the show for you. So I'm asking you now, if you want to help your friends out, tell them about this show, get them watching the show, or get them listening to this podcast. Now, in today's episode, we're bringing Tone Vase on. Tone Vase is a Bitcoiner, but all my guests are Bitcoiner. He runs the Unconfiscatable Conference in Vegas every year. He's been a speaker at my conference. He runs a financial summit every year. And all of these things have one thing in common. They all are Bitcoin only. They aren't cryptocurrency conferences. You see, there's 20,000 cryptocurrencies. That's right, 20,000. There's one Bitcoin. And none of those 20,000 cryptocurrencies match Bitcoin for what it does, for its security, for its strength, for being uncentralized. I can go on and on and on. So Bitcoin is the true thing that is going to change the world. It is already changing the internet. It was the only protocol missing from the internet was a way to transfer funds. Now it's here, now it's secure, now it's decentralized, now it's Bitcoin. So stay tuned with us today as we talk to Tone after my rant's over. And uh, so stay tuned today as we talk to Tone and we talk about what is Bitcoin, we talk about what he's doing, and we get his thoughts on Bitcoin, its usage, and where it's going. It's gonna be a fun one today, I promise you that. And like I said earlier, make sure and share this show with anyone you know that wants to know about Bitcoin. We'll be right back. Yeah, I love coming to Bitblock Boom because it's like it's like Mecca for Bitcoiners. Like everybody here is like part of the hardcore like inner sanctum. Um, you just have these conversations with everybody where like you can see it in their eyes that they believe the same things that you believe. You come to Bitblock Boom once, you're gonna come every year. Speakers are great. The networking is great because you know, that's really what it's about when you're a, a Bitcoiner, especially when you're a new Bitcoiner, is you want to network with as many Bitcoiners as you can and learn because there's so much information, not only about Bitcoin, but about money in general. Hey, so I'm down here at Bitblock Boom and what energy, what a lot of fun. It's all Bitcoiners and uh, just good people. That's the one thing that, that all my interactions that I've had with people, you can tell you're just dealing with a culture of people that just want to make the world a better place. So if you want to come to a Bitcoiner conference, not a crypto conference or a shitcoiner conference, if you want to come to a Bitcoin conference, you would come to Bitblock Boot.
And welcome back. Now, today on the show, we have a friend of mine. Our guest is Tone Vase. Tone Vase runs a couple of Bitcoin-only conferences, as I mentioned earlier. So let's get into the conversation with Tone. Tone, how are you doing, my friend? Hey, Gary. Always a pleasure. And I haven't seen you in a while, but that's going to change in about a week. In about a week from the recording here, yeah, we'll both be at BitBlock Boom uh, down in Austin, Texas. I hear it's supposed to be cooling off for that weekend, so that would be a very nice thing. Yeah, that'd be nice. I'm getting ready for it already. I'm on the north side of Pennsylvania. It's been so nice here all week. Today is the first chilly day, uh, but that's okay. Oh. I'm uh, looking forward to enjoying the sun. After Austin, I'm heading down to Latin America. I personally like the heat. I don't like the snow. I always go to where it's warm. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I'm not into the snow, but after like a month of 100 plus degree days, I could use uh, the environment I see you sitting at there. And I don't think we've seen each other since, I don't know if we saw each other in Miami at the conference here, or last time I Probably remember. Probably Miami. Yeah, I remember yeah. it was unconfiscatable in November, but I can't remember, I saw so many people in such a short amount of time, but let's get into the, to the conversation today, because uh, we can sit here and chat all day about uh, personal BS. Um, let's give people a short uh, bio or breakdown on who is Tone Vase. Sure. I started out, oh, it depends how far back we go. My educational background is in geology uh, and mathematics. I didn't really see much future in those two fields. Uh, so I went and got a master's in financial engineering. And then I ended up working on Wall Street for about 10 years, mostly on the quant side, building risk models, while my personal interest has always been trading and charting. Again, my math analytical background. Uh, so eventually quit that Wall Street job to be a trader. Around the same time, I started getting interested in Bitcoin and what Bitcoin could mean for the future. Uh, so I started talking about it more, started writing some articles, uh, used my Wall Street uh, experience and background to get some speaking gigs at Bitcoin events uh, back around 2015, 2016. And that led to interviews like this one on YouTube uh, that got more popular, led to my own YouTube channel, which was also educating about Bitcoin and also educating people about trading. Uh, so instead of me quitting my job to live independently to be a trader, I uh, became a traveling the world, speaking at conferences, educating about Bitcoin instead, while earning my living by teaching people how to trade because it's so hard to trade when you have so many other things going on. Eventually, that led to me organizing my own events. Um, I have a conference very similar to your Bitlock Boom, of which you've attended. I believe every time called Unconfiscatable, which is a conference that educates about Bitcoin. And uh, I've recently started focusing on another event called Financial Summit, uh, which is a little more rounded finance. So that one isn't focused on Bitcoin. Uh, that one is just focused on all kinds of financial assets. It's more of a five-day networking retreat for hedge funds, traders, uh, financial professionals of all kind, high net worth individuals. Uh, and we just had one in the Dominican Republic. It was incredible. And we have one coming up in Bali, uh, November 1 to 6. Well, 
Those are uh, unconfiscatable. I've been to several times, and I always had a good time there. I have not been to the Financial Summit, but I know uh, that was just a couple weeks ago, and I know several people who were there that said they had a great time and really enjoyed it. So I'm going to have to try to maybe Bali would be the place to go if I can work that in. Uh, that would be awesome. Yeah, you, yeah. it's uh, the the Bali one. Um, your uh, it's an expensive ticket, but it includes your all-inclusive resort. And we even provide a daily one-hour massage included with your room and bottle. Now, my wife would like that, but we'll go over that. <laughs> uh, we'll go over those conferences later in the show. Um, but, yeah, she would love that. Uh, she's going to probably get a one-hour massage anyway, whether it comes in the ticket or not. So uh, maybe that might actually save some money. Let me ask you a question here. here one of the, I have a couple questions I ask everybody. And one of them is, you told us about you got into Bitcoin about 2015, 16. But how did you find out about Bitcoin. What was your kind of orange pill moment, if you have one? Could you share that with us? Yeah, you know, most people find out about Bitcoin because some crazy libertarian friend told them about it uh, and convinced them to do it. That wasn't my path. I didn't have any, you know, these anarchist-leaning, libertarian, you know, government is bad kind of friends. I went to liberal, very liberal arts uh, colleges. I worked on Wall Street, surprisingly, is a lot less capitalist than you would think. Uh, a lot of the people that work there are very much on the socialist side of, uh, of their thinking. Uh, and I found out about it by watching alternative media. I started uh, following the Ron Paul campaign in 2011, uh, because I realized what a mistake it was uh, voting a certain way in 2008. Uh, and I, I I wanted to learn about, you know, what's better. And that led me to watching RT, uh, Russia Today, which has recently been banned on U.S. television because of the conflict between Russia and Ukraine. Uh, but the only places to really get some alternative media were, was Russia Today or Al Jazeera. I was watching more Russia Today and in order to follow the Ron Paul campaign for president in 2012. And that's how I ended up finding out about Max Kaiser and his show. There were also other shows on there like Capital Account, um, uh, along with uh, the, the Kaiser Report. And that's how I got introduced to Bitcoin. I first heard about it as far back as 2011 uh, during the WikiLeaks uh, situation where WikiLeaks was removed from uh, donations by Visa, MasterCard, PayPal, and they had to resort to accepting Bitcoin for donations. That showed me that Bitcoin has a use case of being censorship-resistant value transfer, which is a great use case. But for me, working on Wall Street, I didn't really need that use case. Uh, Silk Road was getting popular around that same time. Uh, but again, contrary to what the movies show you, there's not that many people that do drugs uh, working on Wall Street. It's actually very few. Uh, most people are, you know, they have families, they do their job, they try to go home at 5, 6 p.m. And uh, only certain areas of Wall Street are, you know, the cocaine is popular. These are the people that stay up, you know, all night long. Some of them traders, but I was mostly on the risk side. I That, that wasn't part of my life. and. Um, so that use case of Silk Road, of buying you know, your substances online, wasn't interesting to me at all. 
And But then in 2013, there was a very interesting use case uh, for Bitcoin, and that's when the Cyprus banks shut down. So you have a country in Europe that is in the Eurozone, that is part of the European Union. That's a modern country, Cyprus. And their banks close, and the government confiscates half of all the money in the bank above 100,000 euros per account. And to me, this was insane. Um, how can your legally earned wealth be simply confiscated for a bank bailout? And this is me who worked at Bear Stearns in 2008 with the whole implosion of the financial system. Uh, and still, I found it completely crazy that they could just confiscate your money, whether it's legal or illegal. Um, out of your bank account. And that's when I started looking into Bitcoin a little bit more, and I came to the re realization that Bitcoin is the first unconfiscatable asset in human history. And that is its true value. Uh, it's the most important use case we've ever seen in the world. Uh, when my family fled Soviet Union back in uh, the late 1980s, we were only allowed to leave with $100 per family member, uh, and the government kept the rest. And Bitcoin now changes that, which is why we have a conference called Unconfiscatable, and I was able to purchase unconfiscatable.com. Unconfiscatable is not a word in the English dictionary, but I believe it will be. And these two properties of Bitcoin are absolutely critical, unconfiscatability and censorship value, uh, uh, censorship-resistant value transfer. Well, that is, uh, you know, I want to ask you something. We, we're getting ready to go to a cut, but I want to ask you something about risk management when we get back. Um, so I'm just going to say that, and we'll be back in just a moment. Welcome back to the Bitcoin Boomer Show. Today I'm jo joined by Tone Vase. Tone, thanks for joining me. You, you gave us a lot of information there. I want to go over a couple of things. Number one. Uh, one of the things is you said you worked with Bear Stearns doing risk management. Now, I'm just curious. I watched the other day. I'd seen it before, but the other day I watched Margin Call. Now, were you one of those two guys, like one of those two guys in Margin Call that um, were looking at the uh, risk management and discovered that uh, they were going to collapse? Uh, margin call or the big short? I, I don't remember margin, margin call. Margin call the is the one, movie. big short is the one where they're shorting the housing market. Margin call is the one where they right. discovered they have more uh, swaps than uh, that they all oh, go to. Oh, that's right. I, I saw that a long time ago. Is that the movie that ends with, uh, we're giving the banks all this, the investment yes. banks all this money, they're going to do something good with it, right? That was the very ending, yes. right? Yeah, and it goes, we thought that one, and then what they did was blah, 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 just pigged it all up. So there were two guys in there, or actually right. maybe three guys that were in the risk management because they fired everybody else. So is that kind of what right. you were, one of those guys? I don't know what company they were with, I mean, what bank they were with, but uh, so, is that what kind of you did was so, the, we We did something a little bit different. We were... We weren't doing risk management for Bear Stearns. We weren't doing risk management for investment banks that collapsed. Uh, we were an independent unit that was doing risk management um, of assets that hedge funds were holding. So what we did was we would convince hedge funds to show us their positions on a month-end basis, like a snapshot of a hedge fund portfolio. And then we would run these risk models 
that we would build uh, have we had built in house and report the risk of how risky these hedge funds positions were to the investors of the hedge funds, which is mostly pension funds, uh, fund of funds, or just high net worth individuals that had you know enough wealth to pay for our services and wanted to know what the hedge fund was holding without actually knowing what they're holding, just how risky they were. And some of these hedge funds were you know shorting some of these assets and they were very profitable. But a lot of the models that even we used, your model is only as good as the assumptions and the data that goes into the model. So if there's an inherent assumption that real estate doesn't go down in price, your risk model isn't going to be very good. Uh, one of the better parts of our risk, uh, risk, uh, I guess, reports was simulated events. And this is, um, so what we would take, what we would look at is, let's say, what if 9-11 is to happen again? Or what if, uh, let's say the 1987 crash was to happen again? So we know what the stock market and all the global assets did, uh, during the week of the 9-11, uh, terrorist attack. And we would stress test your portfolio today. If the, if a similar event was to repeat, how would your portfolio perform? So these are the kinds of things that we did. And when the 2008 was happening and the market was collapsing, our services were still in high demand, even though the parent company that was paying our paycheck was going under, our services were needed because these investors in these hedge funds wanted to know how risky these hedge fund positions were. So we were doing things slightly differently. Okay, so you weren't you weren't those two guys in the room then, um, so or three guys in the room there. I did, like I said, I hadn't seen that movie in years. I saw it the other night, and when you said risk management, that was the first thing I thought of. Now here's a question I ask everybody. The second question I ask everybody in general, and it's give me your answer. What is Bitcoin? I got it down to six words, Gary. Bitcoin is unconfiscatable censorship resistant store of value. So I've already discussed the unconfiscatability part. I've already discussed the censorship resistant value transfer part. We're witnessing this play out in real time, both properties. Again, I'm going to go back to the Russia-Ukraine conflict. Uh, when the initial you know, Ukraine situation happened in 2014, uh, the US government went to sanction Russia they sanctioned over the Crimea annexation. They sanctioned them a little, but the SWIFT system, which is the rails that move the dollars around, they refused to drop Russia from the international uh, banking system. So the United States corrected that problem of the SWIFT not, not you know, doing what they want them to do. They replaced the head of SWIFT in 2019. And here we are in 2022, Russia and Ukraine conflict escalates. Russia gets removed from SWIFT. So suddenly the U.S. dollar becomes a political weapon to decide which countries can and can't use the system. They've always, you know, controlled it with countries like North Korea, countries like Iran. But Russia is a different global player. And not only that, uh, the West started confiscating Russian assets. Uh, Russian uh, money in the Western financial system, and also individual uh, wealthy Russians. They call them oligarchs. Uh, and again, we can debate all day long whether this is moral or immoral. 
certainly debatable. But the fact that the United States can do it and they're doing it, uh, that's not how a free uh, global system is. Like you can't remove Russia from the internet uh, because the internet is not controlled by anyone. And a true global financial system, whether you agree or disagree with people, uh, like you can't prevent the criminal from driving a car. Uh, I mean, you kind of could, you can take away his driver's license, but, uh, uh, but that's very, very marginal. So, uh, Bitcoin removes this control of anyone over the financial system. Now we can debate whether that's good or bad, but we can't debate the fact that technologically they can't stop people from using it. So those are the two major parts of Bitcoin. The third part I have not discussed yet, and that's the store of value mechanism. There will only be 21 million Bitcoin. So Bitcoin is a scarce asset, even more scarce than gold. So as people start finding those two properties of Bitcoin useful, they will realize real quick that by default, Bitcoin has to keep rising in value because there will only be 21 million Bitcoins. So uh, it does have scarcity. And the one thing that Satoshi did by creating digital scarcity, he, it was actually easy once you do it. It's one of these things that's like any other global innovation. Like once you discover the use case for oil, this black goo that comes out of the ground, which basically renders your Texas land useless uh, prior to what, 1880, 1890, suddenly you have the most valuable land in the state uh, if it has a big oil deposit. So once you discover a use case for something, all of a sudden, things become easy. Same thing with Bitcoin. Once Satoshi solved the double spending computer science problem, and all of a sudden, you can have digital data that could be sent and lost possession of. Anyone with basic knowledge of computer science can create a token and pretend that it's going to be more valuable than Bitcoin. The Pandora's box has been opened. But I've always said that you can't have infinite amount of digital scarcity. You either have digital scarcity with Bitcoin or you don't. And this is why I believe that only Bitcoin is going to be valuable digital scarcity going into the future. Not these NFTs, not other tokens like Ethereum, none of that. There's only one digital scarcity that could perpetually go up in value. And everything else is just a nice use of technology. But it should not have a digital financial premium on top of it. It is something similar to how gold has completely displaced silver as having any financial uh, premium as money. Most people, most gold bugs, silver bugs, they have not yet come to this realization. But we recently saw the gold-silver ratio hit an all-time high in its history, like 5,000-year history, we hit an all-time high. And that's because since the 1900s, the, the digital world has made silver not be useful as money because digital gold-backed digital currency can scale to micropayments, which couldn't happen before 1900. And that's why silver used to be money. But in today's society, even if we go back to the gold standard, silver will never be money again. And 
Bitcoin will do that to gold. Okay, we have a hard break. We'll be right back. And welcome back to the show. I hope you've enjoyed the show so far. And let me remind you to please share the show with your friends or the podcast with your friends, however you're viewing or listening to the show. Tone, let's get back into that. Now, a couple of things I want to go over there. One of them uh, that you mentioned was uh, because of the new appointee at SWIFT, the U.S. was able to use money as a weapon against Russia in this uh, conflict going on. Um, what do you think about that? I mean, I don't see that as being a great thing for the U.S. dollar, personally, but I certainly am not the wisest person in the world on things like that. But I can see where that can lead people to go, or countries to go, I don't want to be in that situation. I'm going to start getting out of the dollar. Maybe they won't get completely out, but maybe they move 20% of their reserves out of the dollar into something else, which would have, still have an effect on the dollar. What, what are your thoughts on weaponizing the U.S. dollar? I think it's disastrous. I think it's disastrous for the, Amer for the future of the United States as this uh, global superpower. It's, uh, China has already significantly started to reduce their holding of U.S. government bonds. Uh, Japan has just become the biggest holder of U.S. debt uh, because China is selling and they're not buying. Uh, Russia is not going to be uh, any, you know, not going to be holding any U.S. debt either. And other countries are looking at this, and the world of uh, the world is becoming uh, very different. The number of countries that are being removed from the use of the dollar is growing, and America is doing it to themselves. Uh, when I remember when I was younger and I had different political view, I used to think that sanctions, you know, were a good way to, you know, discourage and, uh, you know, uh, it was a, basically sanctions would be a good tactic uh, as a powerful nation to kind of uh, get what you want. And uh, now I'm on a completely opposite side of that, uh, sanctioning another country is I believe is a disastrous policy and the United States continues to do it to bigger and bigger nations. And uh, right now, uh, the BRICS, which is Russia, China, India, uh, South Africa, Brazil, they're about to add a few nations. And it's only a matter of time before those countries' collective GDP is greater than the GDP of the Western countries where America's in charge. And then the world completely changes. Um, I think these are disastrous policies that are not helping the United States at all. And Bitcoin, uh, every year that goes by, I get more and more confident in Bitcoin when more and more nations realize how much power they will have when they are utilizing a censorship-resistant means of saving your wealth and transacting in your wealth. Well, you know, uh, just like every single nation has realized the power of the internet. Well, you know, we have um, countries now like El Salvador adding Bitcoin as a currency. And actually, I think in El Salvador's case, their economy is improving by companies moving there, tourists coming there, um, those kind of things. So now we have a country, and I think maybe the Central Republic of Africa, um, which has a very low 
uh, uh, volume in the world. But we have countries moving that way. Do you think, I know we have BRICS for you, do you think some of these other countries, because of what the U.S. dollar is doing, weaponizing it, could say, you know, well, maybe we should get some Bitcoin too, uh, since we're moving out of the U.S. dollar? So um answer is yes, but those are two very different uh, cases. El Salvador versus the Central African Republic. So El Salvador actually understands Bitcoin, and uh, the president of El Salvador is trying to weed the country away from uh, the U.S. dollar controlling that country, the way very few countries like Costa Rica, for example, have removed their military uh, to prevent the military from having control of their country. But the Central African Republic is a very different case. They're actually not interested in Bitcoin at all. Uh, that's a that's a case of using the Bitcoin in order to create your own altcoin, which I consider the practice of very, very scammy. Um, so the uh, the the situation in the in, in over there is significantly different. And El Salvador is going to have a lot of challenges. Uh, not only has Bitcoin been in this huge bear market, causing a lot of stress uh, to El Salvador, uh, Bitcoin is great if you can time it right. If you don't time your Bitcoin business or your Bitcoin investment, and I never recommend Bitcoin as just an investment, if you're only buying Bitcoin for the purposes of making money on Bitcoin's appreciation, you will always be disappointed. Either you're going to make some money on Bitcoin going up and you're going to sell it way too early, and watch it move on without you, or you're gonna time it wrong, buy it at the top, and then be upset at how much money it lost you. Uh, getting into Bitcoin, you have to understand how Bitcoin is gonna fundamentally change the world. And then it's, it, it, you said you're not gonna be very concerned with its short or intermediate term fluctuations, as long as you understand um, how it's going to alter the world. And El Salvador president understands that. Uh, the question is, how much pressure is the West going to put on them uh, because they don't like what they did? And also, will they be able to survive this bear market and not have their political enemies uh, take over the country? So as long as uh, El Salvador can manage these two things, I think El Salvador will do amazing things in the future because you're right, Gary. People, wanna, people are interested in moving there. Companies are interested in moving there, even though it's a very underdeveloped country. It's still not the safest country in the world. There is going to be a language barrier, uh, but people will be willing to do that if they know that this Bitcoin initiative is going to stay. And it's challenging. This is where a democracy or a republic like in the United States versus, an out, versus a monarchy, for example, this is the difference. Uh, in Dubai, and I love going to Dubai, and a lot of people are critical of, you know, the Middle Eastern countries like the UAE and Saudi Arabia, but their leadership does not change. So if their leadership picks a direction, you know they're going to stay with that direction for a decade. And you can plan for that. In the United States, what we're witnessing now is this divide between the Republicans and Democrats is so great that everything that Trump did was pretty much destroyed by uh, the Biden administration. And if Trump comes back or someone like Trump comes back, they're going to completely flip everything that the Biden administration did. So it's very, very difficult to plan for the future 
when the direction of your nation completely flip-flops every four years. Uh, and um, it, it's hard to say which is a better you know, model of governance, uh, but this is probably one of the things that's holding back uh, people from moving to El Salvador is, are we sure it's here to stay? Well, that's a good point. And, and I appreciate you bringing up uh, that information about the Central Republic of Africa, because I just knew nothing. You know, basically, I knew that I saw several reliable news articles saying that they had adapted Bitcoin, but I didn't keep up with it, didn't know any more. So you helped educate me on that, which I always appreciate being uh, educated on that. One of the other things you also brought up, which we only have about a minute left, was silver and gold, how gold had replaced silver. Uh, and the silver bugs and gold bugs were still waiting. Can you go over that for about less than a minute? Sure. Real quick. Um, gold and silver have always been money. They've both been money. Silver, there's a good argument saying that silver has been better money for the last 5,000 years. But that's because silver had to be a micropayment of gold. You could not subdivide gold. So you needed silver to subdivide gold. But with modern banking in the 20th century, uh, gold was able to be infinitely divisible with modern banking. And all of a sudden, that need for silver to be money is no longer needed. It will never be. And um, therefore, um, silver is still a good industrial metal, but the premium of it being money is slowly going away. And as more and more people realize it, there will be less demand for silver. Gold can still be money, but I think Bitcoin so, does everything go. gold did. We got to go. Significantly better. We'll be right back. Thank you, Simon. And we're back talking Bitcoin. Talking Bitcoin, in this case, with Tone Vase. Tone, sorry, I had to cut you off there. We have a hard uh, close on Hi, this it's show. okay. And uh, so um, I have a question for you uh, that boomers ask me all the time. I have more boomers ask me this than anyone else. And I guess that's because of how we grew up in the financial system. The question, it's funny, millennials and younger people hardly ever ask me this. But the question is, what is Bitcoin backed by? I get that all the time, and I always go, what's the U.S. dollar backed by? Sometimes I get gold, and then I have to explain it hasn't been backed by gold since the 70s. Okay. But most of the time, they just say the U.S. So what is Bitcoin backed right. by? Um, the, go ahead. The common answer for what backs the U.S. dollar is either the U.S. military or petrodollar. That's another common answer. So you're right, the US dollar isn't really backed by anything other than confidence in the United States. Uh, pretty much uh, every currency in the world is backed by the confidence in that country. And uh, the United States still has the most global trust. And that is why the United States is the world reserve currency. If, if the majority of the world suddenly trusts the Chinese more than the United States, then the Chinese yuan and the Chinese currency will become uh, the world reserve currency. Uh, same thing with the Russian ruble. It's not about, it doesn't matter if Russia backs its ruble by gold, which they've actually sort of done. Uh, 
the ruble is not going to be the world reserve currency because you have to trust Russia to give you the gold that backs the ruble. And if the world doesn't trust Russia to do that, why would the Russian ruble ever be the world reserve currency? Bitcoin works the same way. Bitcoin works on this trust in the Bitcoin network. But it's the best term is it's trustless trust because no one controls Bitcoin. So you have to trust the fact that Bitcoin is decentralized. And there are three things that make Bitcoin decentralized to give people trust that Bitcoin is here to stay and will continue to do what it does. One of them is the mining network. Bitcoin burns a lot of electricity. It's not even a lot of electricity. It's a lot of electricity for some. But this is an absolutely critical feature. This is the innovation uh, that Satoshi discovered to create this uh, immutable transactions of a digital scarcity token with the burning of electricity. So you have to exert work uh, to get something like Bitcoin out. So this global network of mining with these computers burning electricity to secure Bitcoin. That's one third of Bitcoin's decentralization. The other third is the smart developers that are writing this code to prevent this code from being hacked, from being exploited. And this is the code that those miners run. This is, this is the code that makes sure there's only 21 million Bitcoin. And this is the code that makes sure that uh, these transactions are, you can't double spend, you can't create extra Bitcoin. And the third part of this decentralization is the a free way for a person to validate their own transactions. Anyone can run a node. Running a node is important. You are able to keep the history of every single Bitcoin transaction that has ever taken place in its history in your own laptop. It does not take up a lot of space. And you can use this node to validate your own transactions. It's kind of like walking around with your own money counterfeit identifying machine. When someone hands you a $100 bill, you trust that that $100 bill is real. But with Bitcoin, you don't have to trust that the person is handing you a real $100 bill. Your own node can, ver can verify this. And people that run these nodes, and there is 10 to 100,000 of these people around the world, and anybody can do it. It just takes a little bit of knowledge and a little bit of effort. It doesn't cost, it costs very little money, just a few hundred dollars. And you can now be part of keeping Bitcoin decentralized to make sure nobody cheats. And these three things create confidence that there will, that Bitcoin transactions will always go through. Bitcoin network doesn't go down. And as this confidence grows, more and more people will use Bitcoin. The same way no one was ready to quit their job in 1995 and trust the internet with their business. But by 2004, a lot more people were ready to quit their job and trust that the internet isn't going anywhere and they can, you know, uh, have an internet business. Well, that's a very good answer there. And so Bitcoin, I think, is the future. I think you and I both understand that. Um, I do want to go over a couple of things of yours with a little bit of time we have left. Let's talk about Unconfiscatable first. It's a great conference. Um, you've done it for several years now. Um, it's in Vegas, and you have a great poker game. Let's talk about Unconfiscatable. Sure. Uh, it's uh, very similar to yours, uh, to your conference, Gary. In fact, uh, well, when I went to your conference uh, last year, 
Uh, there was a couple of speakers there that I was really impressed with, and I asked them to come and speak at Uncomplicatable. Uh, you do an amazing job sourcing new, you know, new talent uh, of people that could explain Bitcoin and the features of Bitcoin. And Uncomplicatable is one of those conferences where I wanted to get people together, uh, keep away the scammers, keep away all of these altcoins. Um, I don't believe in a world of a thousand altcoins. And we just want to have a good time with like-minded people and educate people on how Bitcoin changes the world. And also, like people shouldn't be scared of Bitcoin. Governments shouldn't be scared of Bitcoin. They should embrace it. America became uh, the superpower not because they have, you know, uh, with their rule of law and uh, a tyrannical government. They became a world superpower because of freedom. And um, uh, the more America, the more the American government tries to, you know, go after and fight Bitcoin, the faster they would lose uh, this superpower status because freedom always wins. If freedom didn't win, we would all be, you know, Greeks or Romans or, you know, uh, we would still be, you know, Brits if, uh, if freedom didn't win. And Bitcoin represents freedom. And the more freedom people have within your nation, the more creativity people can have to start new businesses. That's going to take your country to the next level. Um, so Uncomplicatable tries to teach that and explain that. And then the Financial Summit? Uh, the Financial Summit is just a way for financial professionals to share ideas on investing and trading. Uh, that one does not focus on Bitcoin. Bitcoin is just another asset. Uh, in a slew of other assets. We talk about real estate, we, talk, we actually talk about you know, other crypto assets there as well and how you could use those assets to improve your wealth, improve your investments. Uh, we try to educate people on risk management and trading. And you know, people that come to this event are very successful. Even if you have a successful business that has nothing to do with finance, uh, you have wealth. What do you do with your money? Where do you invest it? How do you protect it? And these are the kinds of discussions we have at the Financial Summit. It is designed for the higher net worth. It is a $9,000 event, and it takes a five-day commitment, but you get an all-inclusive resort, uh, food, alcohol included. Uh, we try to you know, do some excursions, and uh, you, get more, you get a lot more than $9,000 worth of value, and the connections you meet there, uh, people remain friends, forever. They start businesses together, they start working together. Uh, the, the quality of people there and the knowledge shared is second to none. Okay, we got like a minute left. Where can people follow you and keep up with Tone Vase? Well, pretty much everything has been Tone Vase. Tone Vase on Twitter, Tone Vase on Instagram, Tone Vase YouTube channel. But I'm, start, but I'm trying to separate. I'm gonna, anything I do in the Bitcoin space will be moved over to the unconfiscatable brand. Anything I do in the financial sphere will move over to the Financial Summit brand. Uh, and then my personal brand phone base will probably be a little more political than I've been in the past. Because as you get older, you start to realize how important uh, politics are. Something that, you know, 20 year olds don't normally understand. Yes, I understand. Yeah, I'm Gary Leland everywhere except Instagram. Someone snuck in on me and got that. Uh, Gary Leland, I have to have an underscore. Kind of pisses me off a little bit. But Tone, thank you for joining. I know the feeling. Thanks for joining us. I appreciate it. We had a great conversation. I'll see you next week at Bitblock Boom. Looking forward to talking. We're going to have a great time for the week. I know it already. And uh, 
Thanks again, Tone. I really do appreciate it. And everybody, we're going to take a break here, and we'll be right back with a wrap-up after these words from our sponsor. So please, stay tuned for the last segment. Thank you. Welcome back, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. I think we had a great interview with Tone Vase. You know, we covered a lot of things. We covered uh, El Salvador being on a Bitcoin standard, using that as currency. We covered uh, using money as a weapon, how that could affect the U.S. dollar, which I found very interesting. And we covered what is Bitcoin backed by, which is a question I do get asked a lot. And as I said earlier, please remember to share this show with your friend, whether you're watching the video, the TV show, or listening to the podcast. Please share this show with your friend and help us grow. I also want to tell you about a few events going on. If you live close to Dallas, Fort Worth, in Texas in general, or anywhere in the country, you're invited to my monthly barbecue. I do a monthly barbecue, and you can find out more information at bitblockbarbecue.com. So if you want to eat some Texas barbecue and talk about Bitcoin, check out bitblockbarbecue.com. Also, check out my new book, Bitcoin and the American Dream. This is a book I wrote recently with uh, seven good friends of mine. It'll tell you so much information about Bitcoin in such a quick amount of time. Um, It's about an hour and a half read. You can buy the book or you can buy it on Audible and just listen to the book like I do most of the time. Seems to be what I do more and more is listening to books. Don't forget to check out my newest project, bitblockboom.com slash BTC. That's slash BTC, making it easy for people to get Bitcoin. And the last project of mine I'll leave you with, got a list of them here, I'm doing a lot of stuff, is my conference that Tone mentioned several times, bitblockboom.com. Now that's a conference I do in Austin, Texas. It's just about sold out this year, so before long, well, by the time you listen to this, it tickets for 2023 could be on sale already. So do check out bitblockboom.com. I hope you've enjoyed today's show. I hope we've educated you because that is our goal, is to educate you about Bitcoin. It doesn't matter whether you know a ton about Bitcoin or nothing about Bitcoin. If you've been in Bitcoin for 10 years or Bitcoin for 10 days, this show is the kind of show that can help you learn more about Bitcoin. Even if you're not into Bitcoin, you will get a grasp on it and slowly but surely start to understand what Bitcoin is about. So next time you hear someone talking about Bitcoin, you will be able to get into the conversation and not feel like you're left out. So until next time, remember to stack sats. Have a good one.